Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masach Psachim, daf Kuf Ted Zayin, 116. Uh, we are continuing along, the Mishnah continues along, and the Gemara follows it, in our uh, processing through the Seder, literally the order of the events of the Seder night. Mazgulo Kosheni, so you pour the second cup, or in that case, and, and we've talked about this before, they would really dilute the wine of the second cup. It's not just simply pouring from a bottle. Nowadays, we pour from a bottle. But kan ha-ben sho'el, kan ben sho'el aviv, sorry. So immediately we begin the processing, I would say, of the the main part of the Haggadah, which begins in our experience of it, of course, it begins with Manish Tana, and we're going to see that in a moment. We're going to see here what happens is kind of an interplay between Manish Tana and the four sons. Vakana ben Shoel, Aviv. Ve'im ein da'at baben, Aviv malamdo. The son asks his father, and it's all male language, and we're just going to go with it. Obviously, we're going to see in a moment that if there's no son, then you still, if there's no child, if there's no anybody there, you still do all the asking, right? The the Seder principle is actually quite inclusive in this way, which we'll see in a moment. The son asks the father, and if the son does not have da'at, if he does not have cognition or the ability to ask, which can be interpreted in any number of ways, and people do this on the Haggadah itself, right? Then Aviv Malamdo, then his father should teach him the questions that he needs to be asking. And then the Mishnah jumps in. This text, I'm guessing, is familiar to everybody. Um, from years and years of the Zeder, right? Why is this night different from all of other nights? Because on all other nights we eat chametz or matzah or chametz and matzah. This night is only matzah. So I'm going through the mission because what's interesting to me, and your Dana, we were talking about this before in preparing, I, I find it very, very interesting what's in the Haggadah that's in the Mishnah or in the Gemara and and how is it rearranged and what part is left out and what part is it specifically included. So the four questions that we ask nowadays come brace, basically, and we're going to see some variation, but basically straight from the from the Gemara. On all other nights we eat all other vegetables, all vegetables. Um, this night we eat maror, bitter herbs. And this, of course, is a big variation. On all other nights, we eat roasted or stewed or cooked meat. Cooked meaning it's cooked in water, I guess. On um, this night, um, we specifically have roasted meat. And that's, of course, referring to the Korban Pesach. We nowadays, have, many people have the practice of not having roasted meat um, as a zecher, as a in memory or in commemoration of the fact that we don't have a Korban Pesach at all. We also don't ask this question anymore. Halala is a I'm sorry, I've read this already. Shabachol helot anu metablin pamachat halala zeshe peamim. So this is a slight different uh, formulation from what I know, but we dip um, one on all other nights, we would dip pamachat at least once. Halala why specifically two times? Well, let's see that toshel ben. And according to the intelligence, or the ability of the son, Aviv Malamdo, and that is the extent to which the father would then teach him. Matzchil never speaks about the father's ability, by the way. Matzchil begnut umasayim b'shevach, and now we get into the basic principle that's going to apply to Magid, which we'll see in a moment in the Gemara, that the the telling of the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, of the exodus from Egypt, begins with disparagement. It begins with gnut, uh, the, the negative 
that happens in the story, and we finish off with praise. We're going to see how that pans out in the Haggadah. We, we um, extrapolate, we, we interpret the verses. These are four, four verses from the parsha, from the section that is recited on the bringing of Bikurim, the first fruits that's in Sefer Devarim, um, from chapter 26 in, in the book of Deuteronomy, Arame Avid Oved Avi, and Shigmor Kola Parashakula, until you finish the whole that whole section in the Torah. Now, part of what I find to be very interesting it, here is that we have in, within this Mishnah the outline of what happens in the Haggadah. For a lot of people, the Haggadah is kind of um, forgive this expression, mumbo jumbo, meaning if you don't know exactly what the structure of the Haggadah is, then you may be very, very familiar with the text from years of reading it and reciting it and, and delving into all kinds of nuance without really having a grasp on what goes on. Um, it depends also, it may depend also on what Haggadah you use, what physical text you use, because some of them have it very nicely outlined with colors and different fonts and so on to show you this is a text from a Mishnah and this is a biblical verse and this is the order and this is parallel and so on. And others, and this is a kind of Haggadah that I grew up with, it's really just the text laid out. So it may you may even have an English translation and still be somewhat lost. So one, one of the things that I think is very valuable coming off this Mishnah is that it, it tells us what's going to happen in the... In, excuse me, in the part of Magid, <coughs> because it tells us that first we're going to have this, this story of the Exodus with, that begins with the disparagement and ends with the praise, and then we're going to have extrapolation and interpretation of these four verses of from Arami Ovid Avi. What it doesn't tell us is why these four verses, what it doesn't tell us is what specifically, where is this disparagement and what is the and what is the praise? We're going to see that in the Gemara in a moment. So the Gemara here comes and picks up on exactly this discussion of the father-son teaching moment. So the the sages say, basically, that if the son is a chacham, if he is wise, if he knows how to ask, then he will do the asking. And if he is not wise, if the son is not, then the, the man's wife would ask him. And if his wife is not able to, for example, then he should ask himself. And what happens if you have two wise sage scholars who really know all this material anyway, all of the halachot of the Pesach, they still ask each other, meaning this uh, ritual of Judaism is built on questions. It's the design of the whole thing which uh, is kind of fascinating because I keep saying, well, how are the kids going to ask as if they don't know if they've already learned about it? So then they're going to know. And here the premise is that there is always something more to ask, no matter how scholarly, no matter, no matter how knowledgeable you are. And to the extent that if you have somebody there who's not capable of asking questions, you provoke it, you teach them how, you ask them, you ask the questions for them. Okay, so then the Gemara continues. It delves into this text that we know so well. Right, this one question of the dipping. Rava Rava has a, an objection to this. He says, one second. There's no option for the other days except for to dipping for dipping once. You always dip. You have to dip. Uh, one time, so he's got a different formulation. 
On all other nights, we're not obligated to dip even once. Meaning he switches the meaning of the question on its head. And this is, of course, much closer to the formulation that we have nowadays. The fact that we have a dipping um, in the Seder at all it, as a requirement is what's, what's the unusual point. Okay, now Rav Safra is going to object to this. Matifla Rav Safra. Safra. Lidardiki. Is this an obligation for the children? Ella Amar of Safra, Hachi Katani, Ain Anu Matablim Matbilin, sorry, Ain Anu Matbilin, Afilu Pamachat, Halala Zeshate Pamim. And this is the formulation that we have, right? That um, in other nights, we don't dip even once, this night twice. Um, it's interesting to me that there is a whittling down to get this to be the precise language that, again, that what we have in the pages of the Gemara, so it's not the Mishnah's formulation in this case, but what we have in the pages of our Haggadah is found in the Gemara itself um, after several iterations. Ma, and now we get to what I think is the key part of establishing Magid, Matkil Begnut Masayim B'Shevach, that we start with disparagement and we finish with praise. My uh, Begnut, what is this disparagement? What is this disgrace? And here we have, and this is this hopefully makes sense of the whole Haggadah for anybody who still thinks that it might be mumbo jumbo. We have two different versions of starting with Gnut and ending with Shevach, starting with disgrace and ending with praise. Um, one is the version of Rav, and the other is the version of Shmuel. But in Yerdain, I think you would say in fine Gemara fashion or in fine um, Jewish fashion, we don't. Uh, decide between Rav and Shmuel's version, we include them both. And they get swapped, they get intertwined in the in the structure of the Haggadah itself. In the Gemara, it's a little bit more streamlined. Rav says, You start with the disgrace that said, and you know, in the beginning, our forefathers were idol worshippers, right? And that text is in the Haggadah. And Shmuel's passage of disgrace is Avadim Hayinu. And of course, right after the four questions, the Magid begins with Avadim Hayinu. And that's the beginning of the telling of Magid. The Gemara, the, I'm sorry, the Haggadah begins with the, the version of Magid that comes from Shmuel. I'm sorry. So that's going on to the next part, which I'm actually not going to address now. The what is left out here is the two sections of the Shavach, um, which is the which is the rest of it, which again is in the Haggadah. And you see these two starting with praise and ending, starting with disgrace, starting with disparagement and ending with praise. Um, one of which is um, oh, one is about. Well, they're both basically the praise of God, right? That's that's the point. That the idea is that whether our disgrace at the beginning was because our forefathers were um, idol worshippers, or because we ourselves were slaves, and wherever we feel the greater insult, let's say to our to ourselves or to our nation, at the end of the day, God brought us out, and that is the salvation, and and that is the that is the praise that we end our Haggadah with. Okay, and just before I turn this over to you, Dana, I just want to note that what happens, the, again, talking about the structure of the Haggadah, we begin, we have, right, we have these two Haggadahs or two versions of Magid from Rav and Shmuel, and we begin with Avadim Ayinu, that was Shmuel's Haggadah, which comes right after Manishtana, right, that is the beginning of the questions, as this Mishnah says, that is also how we begin the Haggadah. And then we end up with the four sons section, 
which comes after the version of the of Magid, right? We have the four sons, and then right after the four sons, we have which is the beginning of Rav's Haggadah, meaning the same, as I said just a minute ago, right, the the Judaism preserves everything, right? We don't want to chuck it. We don't want to get rid of either version. And so instead of getting rid of either version, we basically have, if if you will, the Haggadah itself with questions with answer twice, right? We first have Manishtana, and then we've got the Haggadah that begins with Haggadah of Shmuel. And then we've got the story of the asking, which is not the same questions, right? But it's a story of the four different ways that children could ask or not be able to ask and so on, the Chacham and the Rasha and the Tam and the Sheino Yudei Elishol, which is immediately followed by the version of the Haggadah, right? Meaning the, the Rav's version of the Haggadah. So that it's, it's on the one hand, it's repeated, basically, you know, questions and then Magid and questions and then Magid. And on the other hand, it's not repeated at all, right? In terms of it being a different version, a different imprint. We walk away with so much richness, I think, if it's not too much to say that from the Haggadah, because because this is exactly what we do, right? Because we keep it, we preserve it, and we develop it, and we put our own imprint on it the same way that Rav and Shmuel did. Uh, Yardena, I turn it over to you. Yeah, I'll just make one comment. I mean, there's so much to unpack on this stuff, so we'll probably do a little bit less back and forth than we normally do. Um, but there's something very modern about the Seder, right? I think today you see all these, you know, leadership classes or online seminars that are, all, that are all about like telling your story, creating your narrative. And that's really what the Seder is. It's about how do we create that narrative every year and think about who we are as a people. And I think like even that machlokas between Rav and Shmuel is really in a way talking about when, when does the narrative start, right? So, you know, does it start from the time of before Avraham almost in a way? Um, you know, that yes, people used to not be monotheistic and it, and it's really beginning with the story of monotheism, or is it really just starting, you know, when we got to Egypt and we're slaves? And so the process of this is really sort of staking, and I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm purposefully framing this in a very modern terminology or with a modern idea behind it, because I, I think there is something so, um, it, it, it's, it, you know, how is it that it's almost in a way that you handed it over to the people to say what the story is. And for a religion that tends to be, or I think many of us, I, us view as being so, you know, interested in the minutia of halacha, this actually gives people a lot of leeway in terms of what's actually talked about at the Haggadah itself. So- A hundred percent. Yeah. I so, agree with you a hundred percent. So I'm just going to hop down to the next Mishnah, which I'm not going to read all, but also like you said, Anne, a lot of this Mishnah in bits and pieces, not completely as the Mishnah itself, appears in the Haggadah, and it begins with sort of this famous passage of Rabban Gamliel that a person has to say uh, three things, um, has to mention three things, uh, otherwise he's lo yatsa He has to mention the Pesach Matzer Maurer, and we typically point to them or raise them up. Um, you know, the 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 Dvar Torah we always give up my Seder is about, um, uh, you know, the idea that once you've told the story, a Jew's first question is, well, how does that, how does that experience now manifest itself within halacha? And that's what Rabban Gamliel is saying. And then once you do that, then you can get to the halal. Then you can get to the part of the singing and praising of God. But first you have to think about when you experience something like this, what are the practicals halachically? And the halachic piece of it is, is doing Pesach Matzah um, Umarah. 
And then the Mishnah goes through again and talks about, you know, um, what uh, th- this concept of behold over Jorachayev Adam Liro to Atzmo, Kiluhu Yatsamimitsrayim. Um, and I think that's really the key piece of the Haggadah itself, right? Or the experience of the Seder, that the idea is that you have to experience it or view yourself and your family as if you yourself actually, you know, went through Mitzrayim. Um, and then finally concludes with, you know, the praising that we do, what pieces of halal we do in a machlokas between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel um, of, uh, you know, up to what part of Hillel do we say? And then a uh, different ideas, you know, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon about how do you actually end this piece? How do you end the actual Magid piece? What's the actual uh, bracha that you give? Um, so I just want to go through a little piece of the Gemara here. And one of the things we talked about yesterday was the Gemara always likes to deal with questions that have to do with how does a person who, let's say, does not have all five senses to experience the world, what's their relationship to some of these mitzvot, right? So we talked about it yesterday in terms of like, let's say a person had lack of smell or if you can't hear. And so here they talk about a person who is blind. Amar Ravacha Bar Yaakov. So a blind person doesn't actually have to say the Haggadah. So how do they learn this out? So in the passage or the verse that actually talks about Pesach and Shmo Perigud Gimel Patzachet, it you basically say right that Vigata Levincha, right? You're going to say Ba'avorza. You're going to tell your son this. Because because of this, in other words, because of this, of what Hashem did for you and you, and I came out of Mitzrayim. And then in Devarim, Perak Chaval of Pasuk Chav, chapter 21, verse 20, the case of the rebellious son, right? The Ben Sora Mora, the parents have to say, right? This is our son. And so they'd make a Gezer Shav of the word Zeh and Zeh, just as in the case of the Ben Sora Umora, right? It excludes a blind person. In other words, blind, the blind parents can't say this is our son because they can't identify their son by sight. Also here, having the word this excludes blind people. Now, this doesn't seem straightforward at all. And in fact, I really think, again, this is a great example of boundary making Gemara discussion, right? Like this, it's really very random. You took the word Zeh, which the word Zeh appears many, many times in the Torah in one context and Zen in another context, and you're trying to see if you can compare them. But I think it's that they don't want to just ask the question to ask the question. Can a blind person participate in this mitzvah? They are trying to sort of at least base it on something in the text itself. So, Eni, right? Is this so? Right? So he said he asked, uh, Maymar actually asked this to the Chachamim of the school of, of Rav Yosef, and they asked, who actually said the Haggadah in the house of Rav Yosef? Because Rav Yosef was blind. Amru, Rav Yosef, they said Rav Yosef didn't. And then he also asked, who said the Haggadah in Rav Shesha? We know that Rav Shesha was also blind. Amru, Rav Shesha, Kisavre. Okay, so they said, sorry, Amru, Rav Shesha. Rav Shesha also said it. Kisavre, Rabbanan. So the Gemara answers, well, maybe the reason why Rav Yosef and Rav Shesha had said it is because really the halachot of eating matzah, the Haggadah, everything that we do in the Seder is actually rabbinic law now, right? And we talked about this a little bit yesterday as well, that, you know, we know we don't have the Korban Pesach. We're sort of simulating something else without having the Korban Pesach. Everything is just rabbinic. So since it's rabbinic, they can do it. But now the Gemara is going to say the following. Michal Zerav Acha Bar Yaakov, Sabar, 
matzah bizman is that deraisis. They said, okay, but wait, we actually do have an opinion, Ravacha Bar Yaakov's, that matzah today is still deraisa. Right, but then they say, no, isn't it Ravacha Bar Yaakov who actually says that eating matzah is rabbinic law? So in other words, we seem to have a contradiction between Ravacha Bar Yaakov. One place it seems that he says it's the Raisa eating matzah today. One place he says it's the Rabbanan, right? And so it says, And so no, what they're saying is that Ravacha Bar Yaakov holds that any times the Chachamim instituted something with a, with a takana, right, with one of their decrees, they made it a model similar to what it was done to Arisa. In other words, yes, eating matzah, saying the Haggadah, this is all going to be rabbinic, but all of the stringencies, all the restrictions that apply to a Torah law should still apply to this. And therefore, what? Even according, so even according to Ravacha Bar Yaakov, a blind person still cannot say the Haggadah. So then the Gemara goes on to say, Rav Shesha Rav Yosef, Nami, um, namiha, vidai kol rabbanan So the Gemara is basically now asking this question. Okay, right. So then, according to Rav Sheshit and Rav Yosef, if everything that the that the Chachamim made a takana on, even if it's derabbanan, it still needs to be kept the way it was done deraisa. How is it that they could say the hagada? Hachi hasha bishlama hatam mitahave lemichtav beinenuhu v'ketav beinenuzeh. Right, so they say, how could it be in these cases, the one dealing with the Ben Sower and Mora, and the one dealing with the Haggadah, right, of Haggadah how could it be compared? Okay, and I think that's fascinating. So in other words, they sort of go all the way to the beginning, and they're going to say, no, this isn't a good Gnezeira Sheva. You can't really compare the case of the Ben Sower Mora to the case of the Haggadah right? Right, so there, meaning in the case of Ben Sorer, it could have written, right, Beinenuhu, it's our son, Vikati Beinenuzet, and instead it says, this, you know, this is our, this, this son of ours, Shmamina Pratlusumin. So there, because it could have been written differently, or the formulation could have been sent differently, it obviously is there to teach us that it excludes blind parents. All right, Hudata, um, uh, sorry, that it, it, it to to uh, exclude blind parents. Avalhacha, but here. Elav Bavorza, right? But here it it it, they, it didn't have to say, you know, Bavorza because of this. My Lichtov Ata. But what else could it have said? What or what could the Zeb be in reference to? It could be that it's really talking about Matzah Amara. So in other words, it's not that you have to point to it, right? But it's just the Zeb is referring to the Matzah and Mara, right? That you're gonna say Bavorza. That when you're doing the the Haggadah part, you have to make sure to mention matzah or mawar. And so therefore, the Gemara is going to conclude here that actually what? Blind people are actually obligated in the Haggadah. And, you know, so again, I don't think this was necessarily, a, 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 yes, I think it was a practical question, but I also think it's a boundary question. And I think what they are trying to work out is how are we supposed to experience that storytelling? Is there a visual piece to it? Or can the whole thing just be done by the spoken word? And in the end, they basically come to the conclusion of it just needs to be done by the spoken word. There's nothing that you visually have to see in order to participate in uh, in the actual storytelling of the Haggadah itself, which, again, I think is more of a comment that the Gemara is trying to make about what are the senses or what are the ways 
that a person would experience this evening of Leil HaSeder and what's actually involved in it as part of the human experience. And in the end, it's really just the speaking part that's important. All of those things that are on the table, the matzah, the marah, the haroset, yes, they're there to ask questions, but they're not there really as a visual reminder. They're really there to be integrated into the storytelling part. So I just want to note that this is also part of the, you know, the one party to another party, whether it's a parent to a child or peers or whatever, that same element is there, right? You know, the the verbal storytelling is is exactly that right this is this is part this is the sepoy means right this is the telling of of the exodus from egypt which is the essence of the mitzvah of the seder yes exactly well that's our DAP discussion for the day rank us review us on all major podcasts thank you to Reverend michelle farber for hosting us on the hadron website let us know what you thought about this stuff and our talking talent facebook page and maybe how you're going to talk about this stuff at your seder this year And until tomorrow, go and learn.